The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. The Lord. Thank you, ladies. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary and the old rugged cross. Uh, Brother Gordon's daughter, Miss Ada Waits, is here with us today. I didn't realize she was here, but uh, I got a chance to hug her and pray with her. And our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to her and all of her family. Uh, I, I posted uh, about her dad on Facebook this week, and uh, 37 people shared it. Many of them were preachers who said, we really need to read this because uh, it just tells us what James says, our life is but a vapor. Uh, we're here today and gone. But I'm so thankful we know where Brother Gordon is. He's in heaven with the Lord Jesus and with his sweet wife, and, and they've had a happy reunion. And his race is run. And we're still running out. But you know, I had so many people that were here at the 8 o'clock service who said, I wish I'd gone and spoken to him. Uh, I wish I'd just gone and, and told him what a blessing he was. And that reminds us that life is fleeting. We only have opportunities, maybe one time. And, uh, and it, it just reminds us of the brevity of life. Well, take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read the last part of chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7. Uh, I began preaching about 1990 an annual message called the Church, of the, State, the Church of the State. The State of the Church. It's time for me to retire, folks. My tang is, my tang is getting all tangled up in my mouth. And I just can't talk anymore. But uh, I began to preach it about 1990. Some of you don't know what happened in 1990. But in 1990, we were meeting in a little building on Church Street. Uh, we had a nice educational building and a gym and a fully equipped kitchen and a small sanctuary. And uh, we had gone to three services there and two Sunday schools. And uh, so we were trying to decide what we're going to do about growth. And uh, a tornado came through. And this was a trailer park. And it blew down all the trees on the trailers. And uh, this property sat here for nearly a year. We went to the I went to the deacons, and I told the deacons I was driving by this property one day, and God said to stop, and I stopped and looked, and God said, that'd be a beautiful place for a church, and I said, sure would, Lord, but this property is expensive, and he said, yeah, but the people who own it are in your church, and I've been dealing with them. You need to go talk to them, and so uh, I did the right thing. I went to the deacons first. I wanted the, the deacons to pray with me about it, and they appointed two deacons uh, to go with me to talk to the Lee family, and uh, we had a meeting right over here in one of these houses, and at that meeting, uh, on the way to that meeting, I told the deacons, I said, uh, you know, that property on Highway 31 is selling for $100,000 an acre, and this was about 22 and a half acres, so that would have been about $2.5 million, and I said, if they offer it to us for anything less than 65000 an acre, we ought to jump on it, and so we went and met with them. And they told us a story that their dad had wanted to move the church up here. He had even offered years before, he had offered the church an acre of land, which was more land than we had at that time where we were. And the church had turned him down saying we couldn't afford to move the church up to Highway 31. And he'd offered them a free acre of land. And so the family said, we prayed about it and we believe it will honor daddy if we sell the church the property. And uh, we're going to ask the church to pay us a lot less than anybody else would. And it came out to about $45,000 an acre. I wanted to sign the deed that night. I mean, I was so fired up, and the deacons assured me we didn't have church permission, didn't have the whole deacon body's permission. We were just there to talk. But we came back, and I never will forget, uh, 
a business meeting we had down in the old Church Street campus, and uh, Brother Joe and Dolly Hodges used to sit right over here on this side up against the windows in that old building. And at that uh, business meeting that night, the first man on his feet was Brother Joe Hodges, and he stood up and he said, Brother Mike, I have thought for years that this church needed to have a bigger campus. And he said, I'm all for this move. Well, after Brother Joe spoke, nobody would dare speak against it. And uh, we had a unanimous vote that night to, to not just to buy this property, but to sell our property and move up here. And uh, we promised the people that we would be diligent in our financial efforts. And so uh, we promised them we would not build anything until we had the debt squared away. And so in 1990, about three to 400 people uh, pledged to pay a debt of $1.1 million off before we built the building. Now, I'll be honest with you, I had had a talk with the superintendent of education, and they wanted to buy our old building. And they said, I think we can give you two or two and a half million dollars for it. Because they said there's a special program coming through Congress and we need to start a uh, program here in Shelby County for gifted students. And that building would be perfect. It's even got a, 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 a fully equipped commercial kitchen. We could have a lunchroom down there. And uh, so the then superintendent of education said, I think we could probably get two to two and a half million dollars for the property. Well, that fell through. And uh, so there we were with the property. And, it took us uh, about eight years. We paid that $1.1 million off in eight years. And then we started putting money in the building fund. And uh, we moved up here on this property on February the 20th, 2000. So this February, we will have been here 14 years. And uh, those of us who were at the church in those days know that this campus is a dream come true for me. But about 1990, to let the church know where we were, because I, my my, my Policy has always been trust the Lord and tell the people. And so every year in January, about the same time the president made his State of the Union address, I would make my State of the Church sermon. And so that's what I've come to do today. And this, uh, unless, unless God does something unusual, will be the last time I ever do this. And I take it very seriously. Uh, because, and I want you to know my passion. My passion is just as strong for this church now as it was in 1990 or in February 20th, 2000, I will always love you and I will always love this church. When I had asked God, I said, God, would you tell me before you tell anybody else when it's my time to hang it up? And he did. He did that. He started dealing with me in August about that. And I finally got up the nerve to tell Mary in September. And, uh, and she said, I'm not ready for this. And I said, well, I'm going to give you some time to get ready. And so after a few weeks, she knew that uh, I knew this was God's will. And so we announced in November our plans to retire uh, in May, and we still plan to do that. You'll hear a little later on in the, in the service from the pulpit committee. They're going to ask you to help them. I hope you're praying for them. But I wanted to bring the State of the Church address, and this may be the most important one I've ever brought, uh, because uh, this time next year, somebody else will be your pastor, Lord willing. And uh, I, whether or not he chooses to bring a state of the church address, that's up to him. And by the way, let me just go ahead and say this. A new preacher will bring changes. Uh, that's what happens. Uh, not all preachers are the same. And just because he changes something doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, I want you to pray for your future pastor. You need to be praying for him right now. And pray for God to give the search committee wisdom and for God to give him wisdom. Uh, and, and let them know who he is and let 
him know that it's God's will for him to come here. So I hope you'll do that. Well, let's stand together as we show our respect for God's word. Reading from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 through 2 Corinthians 7, 4. This is the word of the living God. And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, completing our sanctification in the fear of God. Accept us. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I have already said that you are in our hearts to live together and to die together. I have great confidence in you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overcome with joy in all our afflictions. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Just this past week, as I was thinking about the state of the church, I was reading my daily devotional from Love Worth Finding, and Dr. Adrian Rogers shared these words in that devotional, and I heard him say these words many times in person. He was my hero and a role model and a mentor. Uh, He said, you were created to know three worlds, the spiritual, psychological, and material worlds. These can be considered the world above us, the world within us, and the world around us. These worlds are related to the three parts of our human nature, spirit, soul, and body. When you are rightly related to the material world with your body, you are healthy. When you are rightly related to the psychological world with your soul, you are happy. And when you are rightly related to the spiritual world in your spirit, you are holy. And I think Dr. Rogers was given insight from God to say those words, and I know that they're certainly true. They've been true in my life, and I I know that they're true in the lives of all believers because what God applies to one applies to the other as far as his blessings. And so I want us to see what Paul called God's promises to the church. If you notice the very first verse uh, of chapter 7 says, Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises. Now, I've taught you this. When you see a therefore in Scripture, you stop to see what it's there for. And it's therefore the promises that are above what is listed there in chapter 7, verse 1. Now, what are those promises? First of all, look at verse 16. God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. One one of the things that the church has that no other uh, human institution has, and by the way, the church is not an institution. The church is an organism. An institution is founded by men. An organism is something that's alive. And the church is the body of Christ. This church is a part of the body of Christ. And as a member of this church, even if you're visiting here today, if you're a Christian, you need to be a member of the body of Christ. And we need to be active together. Uh, And by the way, all of my body parts don't function like the other ones. For example, uh, my toe cannot do what my eye does. You know, my toe may decide and send a message to my brain, I'm tired of being a toe. 
I'm tired of looking at the inside of a sock. I want to be an eyeball. And so my big toe sends a message to my brain that says, I'm tired of being a toe. I want to be an eyeball. And so the brain sends a message back to the toe, and it says, you may be tired of being a toe, but you were born a toe, and you'll live a toe, and you'll die a toe. All you're ever going to see is the inside of a sock. Just get used to it. Now, that's kind of a silly example, but when we come together as the body of Christ, there are arms and there are legs and there's hearts, and, and, and we need to understand that. The church is an organism, and we have the promise of God's presence. Uh, do you know why we have the promise of God's presence? Because Jesus tore down the veil in the temple when he died. You see, before Jesus died, there was a veil that separated man from the Holy of Holies. And only one man could go behind the Holy of Holies once a year. And he had to go back with blood. And if he didn't, he would die. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil of the temple was split from the top to the bottom, signifying that we all have the right to the presence of God. And verse 16 says, I will dwell among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. That is a promise from God that the church would have his presence. But then we also have a promise in verse 17. He says, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. As part of the body of Christ, it is our responsibility to make sure that the body of Christ is a holy body. And this is the job not just of the pastor or the deacons or the church leaders. It is the job of every member of this body. And the weakest link in the chain will ruin the chain. And we need to understand that God says, get rid of things that you shouldn't be involved in. Don't touch any unclean thing. And God says, when you are a follower of his, you can't live like everybody else. You can't do what everybody else does. You can't say what everybody else says. If you have been washed in the blood of the lamb, you have a responsibility to God to live a holy life. And I want to tell you, that's a responsibility we need to take very seriously. The Bible says that we are to come out from among them and be separate. You know, I don't hear much preaching on that today. Uh, I hear a lot of preaching about blessings and, and, and all these things, but I don't hear much preaching about separate holy living. And I think that's a shame. Because the Bible didn't change, and, and God's not going to change his mind. If we are going to be servants of the living God, then we have to be different from other people. Because God says, come out from among them. God promises his presence, but then God gives us a prerequisite. But then notice God's pleasure in verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know, it tickles me now when uh, some of our members become grandparents. They never have been grandparents. For Paul is down here grinning from ear to ear. And it, those of you who on Facebook know why she's grinning from ear to ear, she's fixing to have two granddaughters, Lord willing, next spring. And uh, that's a time to rejoice. John and, and Joe Jones uh, and, and several others in our, in, our, in our church have recently had grandchildren. I want to tell you, uh, some of you that don't have grandchildren, you don't understand it. When you get those grandbabies, it changes your life. My mother-in-law told me the day Scotty was born, she said, this will change your life forever. My mother-in-law was always telling me things, and I didn't put a lot of stock in some of it. But, you know, I've lived long enough to say she was exactly right. 
from the day that our son was born, our oldest son was born, my life has never been the same. And it won't ever be the same. And boy, when the grandkids come, it's, it's just like a, a super thing. I see Lloyd and Linda's story back there. They've got a new granddaughter. They've just welcomed. Man, there, there's nothing like that. Well, let me tell you what the blessing of God is here. God wants us to be his sons and daughters. And I look back and, uh, and notice what Hebrews says. I, I, I'm studying Hebrews with Mary's group on, on Sunday night. And uh, we read this passage last week. What a blessing it was to see this verse. For it was fitting in bringing many sons to glory that he for whom and through whom all things exist should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. One reason why we need to be holy is because Jesus was holy and his holy body was put on a cross and he became sin for us that God could bring many sons and daughters to glory. And as I studied the Bible this week, I looked in there and I found out something I'd never noticed before. During his earthly ministry, Jesus referred to his disciples uh, as friends, disciples, followers, but only after his death, burial, and resurrection did he refer to his disciples as brothers. Now, to me, that signifies something. It says that until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there were no brothers and sisters in God's family. Jesus died so that we could become brothers and sisters. Now, the people who had died before died on the promise of Jesus coming and dying and rising again. But when Jesus came out of the grave, he said, go tell my brothers. I'm looking for them. Go tell my brothers. Oh, I want to tell you the greatest privilege we have is not being grandparents. The greatest privilege we have is not being American citizens. The greatest privilege we have is being able to say, God is my father and I am God's child. And God takes pleasure in that. God loves his children. When Scotty was born, he was club-footed. His feet were turned nearly backwards. When I looked at him, my heart broke. And I went home and I prayed as I'd never prayed before. Because I didn't know what was going to happen. And my heart was broken. And as I was praying and crying, I read this verse in the Psalms. It says, as a father pitieth his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. And I knew I wanted my son to be healed. And we prayed. And God sent us to a good orthopedic doctor. When Scotty was one day old, that doctor picked him up and carried him down to the x-ray room and laid him on an x-ray table and talked to the x-ray technician and took x-rays of both Scotty's legs. And he came back with this report. He said, every bone is there. He said, I think with therapy and some surgery, we'll get this boy some feet and legs. And it took a while. It didn't happen overnight. We never were able to buy Scotty a pair of little baby shoes. I mean, I, I'll tell you how bad I was. I'd, I'd go by a store and I'd see people in there buying little baby shoes for their kids. And I'd just start crying. I'd have to go out and sit in the car because I didn't want people to see me cry. I never will forget the day when after surgery and wearing casts for a year, those casts came off and he said, you can take him down to the shoe store and get him some shoes now. 
And oh, what a day that was. We carried him down to the shoe store. We bought him some little shoes. That was a happy day. Why? Because my son, I thought, would never walk. And the doctor said, I think he'll have a good pair of legs. Later on, when I was running around the house trying to catch him to whip him about something, <laughs> I remember those days. You say, well, did you whip him? Sure, I did. I didn't want him to grow up and be a criminal. But I, I disciplined him in love because I loved him. But I want to tell you this. That's the way God feels about us. God looks at us, and some of you are struggling. You say, how do you know we're struggling? Because you're human, and that's what humans do. But I want to tell you this. God is your best help. And some of you aren't calling on him. Oh, you're talking to everybody else about your problems, and you're not taking your problems to the one who has the solution for every problem you're ever going to have. What a privilege we have that God takes pleasure in us being his children. Let's act like he's our daddy, and let's trust him. Those are God's promises to the church. But then notice Paul's prompting to the church. He says, therefore, because of those promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from every iniquity of impurity of the flesh and spirit, completing our sanctification in the fear of God. Now, I could say what Paul says next. Accept us. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I have already said that you are in our hearts to live together and to die together, for I have great confidence in you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overcome with joy in all our afflictions. I feel the same way about you that Paul felt about the Corinthians. I am thankful. And I think we need to do what Paul said to the church at Corinth. We should wash ourselves clean from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, making our sanctification complete in the fear of God. I hope that these next four months are the greatest four months we've ever had. I hope that when the new pastor comes, whoever he is and wherever he is and whenever he comes, I want him to find this church not just surviving but thriving. I want you to know my zeal for this church has not waned one little bit. My vision for this church has not stopped. I believe the best days of this church are ahead. And I believe we're going to go into them and we're going to face the future with faith. And so for the next several months, I'm going to focus on finishing strong. I've been praying and I ask God, what do you want me to say to your church? These last four months that I will have the privilege of being your pastor. And I want you to understand this. I will always love you. And I will always appreciate this church. In fact, it's only dawned on me since I announced in November that I'd be retiring in May. What a blessing you've been to our life. Do you realize that at the end of May, I will have been here for more than 35 years? That is a long time. That is a real long time. Some of you aren't even 35 years old. And I was here before you discovered America. You say, well, we want you to stay on. Well, that's not God's will. You know, I had planned to go on another five years, but it became apparent to me last August. God said, you always told me to tell you before I told anybody else. And next May, it's going to be time for you to step down, and it's time for somebody else to step in. For a while, I thought, well, I'll bring a young fellow in, and he'll work with me, and I'll work with him, and, 
and, and then I'll just turn it over to him after six months or a year. But God convinced me that wasn't his will. One reason I don't think that's God's will is you'd have to pay two senior pastors, uh, and that's a burden on the church, and I don't want to be a burden on the church. That's why I announced it this way. So the pulpit committee, pastor search committee, uh, can find somebody. You say, what if they don't find somebody by May? Don't worry about it. We got that covered. The Constitution and bylaws says the deacons are responsible for pulpit supply. And we've already told the deacons we'll work with them in helping secure people to come in. The state convention, when I served as president, I had an agreement with the state convention because, Linda will tell you this, the bank that we owe this money to, and by the way, we owe less money uh, now than we vote in several years. It's below $8 million. Hallelujah. I woke up the morning and went below $8 million and said, boy, I slept better last night. I'm not $8 million in debt anymore. I'm just $7.9 million in debt. That's all I have to worry about. It didn't, and by the way, that doesn't bother me. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows where every ounce of gold and silver in this world is. He's not broke, and his church is not broke. Well, and we need to focus on the fact that God is the, is the one who sustains this church, not the pastor. But whenever that new pastor comes in, I want him to say, you know, old Brother Mike didn't just didn't sit around waiting for me to get here. Brother Mike was like that guy who tried to climb Mount Everest and didn't make it, but his epitaph said he died climbing. And I want us to finish strong. I want to finish strong, and I want you to help me finish strong. So in February, we're going to be thinking about strong families. And by the way, you say, what, what is a family? A family is a unit of people who live together. You say, well, do you have to have two people? No. One is a whole number. You know what the greatest mission field in Shelby County is? It's single-parent families. Statistics tell us that the largest unchurched segment of the, our population in America are single-parent homes. And we need to focus on that as a church. We need to focus on welcoming single parents into our fellowship. We're going to focus in February on strong families and even strong single-parent families. In March, we're going to think about strong finances because God wants us to prosper, but we can't prosper unless we live under God's teachings on stewardship. And that's what we're going to be looking at in March, how to have strong finances individually and as a church family. In April, when we celebrate Easter, we're going to be thinking about strong faith. I want you to know, when I went back to the Holy Land when we left in December and were there over the Christmas holidays, came back at the 1st of January, walked in the footsteps of Jesus, walked down the Via Dolorosa, uh, one of my favorite places to go, and it was the last place we went on Friday evening. At sundown, we ended up, and we saw Calvary. We saw Golgotha, the Skull Hill. We stood there, and we sang, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on Which the Prince of Glory Died. And then we went just a few feet from there to a garden, and there in the garden was a tomb hewn out of a rock. And the Bible says that Jesus was laid in a tomb that never had been used. And it was in a garden. And it wasn't far from Calvary. And we stood there and went in the tomb and out of the tomb. And then we went to a little place and had communion. At sundown, sundown communion by the empty tomb. What a day that was. My faith is stronger than it's ever been. And then in May, strong finish. Uh, I'm not going to quit preaching after me. I'm still going to preach. I'm just not going to pastor anymore. God has called me now to do a ministry of going where I'm needed, doing pulpit supply and interims and things like that. 
and God is going to call a man to be here, and we're going to follow him. I say we because I plan on staying a part of this fellowship, and I plan on supporting my pastor. I plan on when he says something, I say amen. When he leads us somewhere, I'm going to follow him. And if he does something and you say, well, Brother Mike never did it that way, you come tell me that, and I will straighten you out. He won't have to because a new pastor will bring changes, and we need to embrace those changes and follow him. That would help me to have a strong finish if we're ready to follow the new pastor. Now, there's some specific goals, and I put them down here today, and I want you to work and pray toward these goals. First of all, I want us to increase our attendance in worship, in Sunday school, in discipleship, in the choir, and in missions involvement. I would love to see our Sunday school up over 1,000 again. I would love to see our discipleship having eight to 900 every week in discipleship. We ought to be able to do that. If we can have 1,000 in Sunday school, we ought to have eight or 900 in discipleship. We have several different places we're doing discipleship. Uh, I'd love to see the choir full. I'd love to see every seat up there taken. What a blessing it is to come in here at Christmas and see every seat up there. Now, now we've been having the folks from Clanton join us, and they're not going to come down and help us fill the choir every Sunday morning. Uh, but some of you can sing, and you hadn't been singing, and you need to get back to singing. You remember the statement I told you years ago, anybody that can sing and won't sing ought to be sent to sing, sing until they will sing. Now, if that shoe fits you, get up there in the choir. Come to choir this Wednesday night. Say, I'm going to back Brother Mike up. I'm going to sing in the choir. And then in missions involvement. I hope our missions involvement will be an all-time high this year. Secondly, I want us to be in the black financially and have a positive balance when the new pastor arrives. I don't want him to get on the scene and say, boy, Brother Mike left this church in the red. We've got to dig out of this hole that Brother Mike let him get in while he was here. I want to tell you, God has plenty of money. God has has never been broke. And here's the deal. If you want to get in on God helping you financially, you've got to be willing to give to God. The Bible says that if you give, God will bless you. The Bible says if you don't give, God will curse you. I heard about a fellow one time who got mad at his pastor. His pastor preached something, and he didn't like it. And uh, he didn't care that it was true, but he didn't like it. And he went and told the pastor, he said, I'm not going to tithe. And the pastor said, why aren't you going to tithe? He said, because I didn't like what you said in the pulpit. The pastor said, well, is it not God's word? He said, well, I guess it's God's word. And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, you know who you're going to hurt by not tithing? He said, yeah, I'm going to hurt you. Pastor, no, you're not going to hurt me. You're going to hurt yourself because what you're asking God to do is put a curse on you. And that man realized the pastor is right. He got right with God about that. We need to be givers. God always blesses those who are faithful financially to his kingdom. We need to work on harmony, unity, outreach, inreach, and becoming the friendliest church that new prospects visit. When I posted the story about Brother Gordon on Facebook, I had several people tell me that were in that service last Sunday when I recognized him. They said, Brother Mike, you know, I meant to go and speak to him. I meant to go and tell him, thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for coming out on a cold day. And he was bundled up. I mean, and these are some of the coldest days I've ever seen. I just, you know, and every time you look at the weather, man, he said, you think this is cold? You just wait a few days. It's going to get colder. And yet last Sunday on a bitterly cold day with wind blowing, a 98-year-old man made his way to the house of God for the last time. When I told that story, some people said, I wish I'd spoken to Brother Gordon when you pointed him out. I want to tell you there are people here in this building right now 
And it's up to every one of us to make sure that we speak to them. You know, we can't just trust the ushers and the greeters to do that. We've got to be, I'm going to tell you what. People say, what is the secret to the Church of the Highlands? I'll tell you the secret to the Church of the Highlands. Chris Hodges is a great preacher. I know that. But you know what their people do? Their people welcome other people to come. Now, we serve the same God they do. And God tells us that sometimes when we welcome people, we entertain angels unaware. This church needs to be the friendliest church anybody ever visits. And you know when that's going to happen? When you and I decide to show friendliness to other people. Not look at people if they're sitting in your pew. My goodness, how selfish is that? There are plenty of pews here. It'd be different if we had standing room only. But man, we have three services. You know, if we filled up all three services, we could put chairs in the house. Listen, when you see somebody you don't know, and listen, folks, here, let me give you a little tip. If somebody walks in, they're going like this. They probably don't know where the bathrooms are. They don't know where the sanctuary is. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for somebody to say, hey, I'm glad to see you. We're glad to have you at First Baptist Pelham today. Come on in. Have you been to Sunday school? Why don't you come to my Sunday school class? I want to have all of us did that. This church will be the friendliest church people have ever been to. Some of you do it. Some of us need to realize we need to get out of our comfort zone and reach out. Because I want to tell you this, people come in here hurting every Sunday. There's a tear in every pew in this church. Nobody is here that's perfect. Nobody is here that doesn't have problems. Nobody is here that doesn't have concerns. We need to work on harmony, unity, outreach, inreach, and becoming the friendliest church that new prospects visit. We need to freshen up the entire campus. One thing we really need to do is pave and stripe the parking area at the annex because a lot of people that go to the annex for upward don't go to this church. And when they go over there and there are potholes over there and you can't see how to park, uh, that frustrates them. And they say, well, if this church really cared about people, they'd have that parking lot paved and they'd stripe that parking lot. It wouldn't be so hard to find a place. We need to do some of that. We need to reach our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal. You say, why are you saying that? Because when you, hit, when you set a goal, it's important to reach it. If you don't have a goal, what are you shooting at? We have a goal. We're about $10,000 away from that goal. I'm going to give some more money this week. Others, I'll be kidding. I'm, I'm not going to give $10,000. I'm going to tell you that. I don't have it. If I did, I'd give it. But I'm going to give some more money. Some of you can give some more. Some of you may have given all you can give. You pray. That God will put it on the hearts of people. Why? Because God blesses a church that loves missions. And Lottie Moon Christmas offering, every penny, every penny goes to missions. Number six, we need to expect God to do great things and pray for him to receive all the glory. And number seven, believe that the best days of the First Baptist Church of Pelham are still ahead. We've had a lot of great days. We've had a lot of days when the glory has just come down. Not anything I did, I can assure you that. But I want to tell you there are more of those days in the future. I'm excited about it. I'm excited. You say, aren't you sad? No, I'm not sad. Listen, I already told y'all, these are the best days of my life. Last Monday, I went to check on my Social Security application. They said, office is closed for a holiday. I said, doggone. On Tuesday, I had a call from a lady. 
She said, I got to ask you one question. I said, all right. She asked me that one question, and I said, what? And she said, yeah, if you, she said, we got a question on this. And I said, uh, how much will that impact my Social Security check? She said, about $5 a month. And Linda, you'll appreciate this. Church was going to have to go back to 1999 and look up financial records to increase my check, $5 a month from Social Security. I said, lady, I said, I drink a cup of Starbucks coffee maybe once a month, and that's $5. I just swore off Starbucks coffee. I said, I'll just make my Keurig cup of coffee and drink it. You keep your $5. I don't want to go back to 1999 and dig in my finances and the church finances. And she said, if you do that, we're good to go. I said, then, ma'am, we are good to go. And she said, the money is coming. And I said, I'm not holding my breath because I want to see it come. But I got approved for Social Security. I've been paying the government since 1964. In February 2014, the government is going to pay me. Praise God. I'm excited. You say, well, Brother Mike, why are you excited? I'm excited because God has blessed me. I have served four churches in my ministry as pastor. I served an inner city church in Carrollton Avenue at New Orleans. And now it's a black church and they're doing great. Praise God for that. They're reaching people in that community. Praise God for that. I served at Munford Baptist Church, a rural church. While I was there, we averaged 20 baptisms a year for three years in a rural church. Praise God for that. It wasn't me, it was God. While I was there, the town drunk got saved. The town drunk got saved, and I baptized him. I, I want a man who is almost as old as I am now who had one leg. He lost a leg in an industrial accident. And I led him to Christ in his home, and he came down the aisle on his crutches, and two weeks later I baptized him, and we had steep steps coming down into the baptistry. And I told one of the deacons to come down with him, and he got up to the top of the steps, and I told the deacon, I said, this guy's independent now, but he only has one leg. I said, he's going to want to do it himself, but he can't do it. I said, you come down those steps with him. He said, all right, preacher. Well, I was down there at the bottom waiting for him to come down. I mean, it was like 10 steps straight down. And I could see this deacon. He was a big old deacon, too. He had his hands up under that man. He said, I'm going to help you down. He said, no, I can do it myself. And the deacon said, go ahead. (laughs) That was the first time I wanted to lay hands on a deacon like this. That man slid into the baptistry. I caught him before his head went under. He'd already baptized himself. <laughs> I turned around to baptize him. Half the congregation standing up at the top of the baptistry seeing if the man was okay. I baptized that man. I love that church. I love Carrollton Avenue. I loved Millery. I stayed at Millery Baptist Church. And I want to tell you this. If I hadn't been at Millery Baptist Church, I would never have been able to stay at Pelham 35 years. Those folks taught me to love and taught me to minister. And they followed my leadership. And then God sent me to Pelham. And I said, God, everywhere I've been, I stayed about three years. I said, God, 
If it'd be all right with you, I'd like to stay at Pelham five years. And so I stayed at five years. And I said, God, I like it here so much, I believe I'll stay another five years. And it became 20. And then it became 25. And then it was 30. And God willing, in May, it'll be 35. And you say, well, didn't you want to go 40 like Moses? I did. But God convinced me I wasn't Moses. And that wasn't his will. I'm not going to live in the past. God's not done with me. When I stop preaching as your pastor, I'm still going to preach somewhere. I'm still going to try to win town drunks to Christ. I'm still going to try to go in homes and win people who've lost a leg in an industrial accident to Christ. I'm still going to preach the gospel. But my time as pastor is coming to a close in May. There are two things down at the bottom. If it is to be, it is up to me. You say, yeah, that's right, Brother Mike, because you're the pastor. No, that's true of everybody here. If it is to be, it's up to me. And we need to pray as though everything depends on God because it does. But then we need to work as though everything depends on us because it does. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me spend the best years of my life as your pastor. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I will always love you. But it's God's will that I step down in May. Will the pulpit committee have somebody here in June? They could, very possibly. If not, don't worry about that. Why? Because God's in charge of that. You, you need, need to understand, God is in charge. And by the way, God's not sitting up in heaven scratching his head and saying, what am I going to do with that brother Mike? God's up there going, get the old geezer out of the way. I'm going to bring a young spitfire in there. He's going to take those folks where they need to be. And I'm glad God didn't tell me like he told Moses, I'm going to let you go die on the mountain and watch the people go into the promise. I've seen the promised land. I came into the promised land. I'm in the promise. I'm living in Canaan now, as the old gospel song says. But the best days are ahead. If we do what the Bible says, cleanse ourselves, come out from among them and be holy and consecrate our lives to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenge from your word. And Lord, as I preach the state of the church today, Lord, I pray we would see that this body is made up of members. And our church is only going to be as strong as our weakest member. And Father, I pray that the sheep of this flock will hear the shepherd's voice this time. And we'll come together as never before. That we'll have more harmony and more unity and more love. That we'd be more intense in our outreach and our inreach. That we'd realize that whenever anyone comes in here, we're going to answer to you for how we treat them. And you tell us to welcome them in Jesus' name. God, help us to finish strong. And Lord, I thank you that you have convinced me thoroughly that the best days of this church and the best days of my life are still ahead. And I thank you for that precious promise. 
And now, Lord, if there's somebody here that's not saved, if there's somebody here that's not sure they're saved, if there's somebody here that's been saved but they've never been baptized, or maybe they got saved after they were baptized, they need to get their baptism straight. Maybe there's some folks here that just need to move their letter to the church or they need to come by statement. Father, there may be some folks who just need to come in the altar and confess sin and get right and consecrate themselves to your service. Or maybe there's some young people you're calling to the ministry, maybe to the mission field, or speak today. And we promise we'll give you all the honor and all the glory. For only you are worthy, and we make this prayer and give this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 488. Hymn number 488. As we stand, the staff's coming. I'm going to ask you to come from the balcony. Just step out. It only takes a moment to come down the sides. You come from the main. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.